Good morning. It's uh, Gary Morrison, the DLC group of companies uh, calling from home during this uh, continued COVID-19 crisis. I am so excited to uh, be here today and we have a, a huge turnout on this call and you know, I have uh, a friend of mine uh, joining us today who, who has just been a icon or a legend in the Canadian uh, real estate space. Uh, he uh, has spent 18 years at Brookfield Real Estate Services. Uh, you, would, you would know the uh, Canadian uh, brand uh, of Royal the Page that Mr. Phil Soper is the president and CEO. Uh, and they also own a, a great company in Quebec called uh, Via Capital. And when it comes to Canadian real estate, there's there's nobody in my opinion that knows the market and studies the trends, uh, you know, closer than than Phil. So Phil, good morning, welcome, and thank you for making the time. Oh, Gary, a real pleasure. Uh, when you uh, reached out, I uh, leapt at the opportunity. You reached so many people uh, with your communications, uh, and I think what you're doing for the industry overall and the extended industry uh, beyond. In real estate secured financing into real estate itself it's a it's a it's a wonderful thing so thank you to you your leadership team dlc overall for what you well i appreciate those those comments it's funny because you know more than more than any other time that i can remember people uh, are dying for information and they're really trying to get it right and they want to make sure that you know um as they've had a little bit more time, they've slowed down, uh, that they really plan to prepare for, you know, coming out of the other side of this COVID-19. And, you know, one of the things that continues to drive the Canadian economy, obviously, is Canadian housing. Um, so uh, maybe we'll start there. I mean, you know, with the COVID-19 world and the, you know, the situation that we've been experiencing over the last little while, how are you guys doing overall as, as a company? And, and how are you settling in? Has it, has it been real trying times for you? Or you know what, it, what is that? The end of uh, week seven appear uh, sort of close to most of us uh, being under house arrest. And it's, uh, we're getting used to it. It's uh, shocking. Uh, I know you and I have talked about this before. You work an awful hard, uh, right. spend a lot of hours, but really productive. You get, get a lot of uh, interfacing in, if you want to put it that way, a lot of mm. meetings. You see a lot of people, you talk to a lot of people. Uh, and you feel like you're making a difference. So uh, leadership is about making a difference. I don't think too many people get into leadership really for the money or the prestige. Right. They, they typically, the, the ones who succeed, get into it because they want to make a difference. And, and these days you feel like you're making a difference because uh, obviously there's a lot of people looking for support, a lot of mm. people looking for uh, insight. We, we don't have crystal balls mm -hmm. and yet we have uh, perspectives that are probably uh, broader uh, at a higher level. And maybe we can put some things in context that, that help people and, and help by extension their families because they can, they can get off the calls and, and say, you know what? Uh, I think things are going to be okay. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I, I kind of feel like I'm a teenager again. I mean, somebody's telling me that I can't go to the bar. Can't have a drink anymore, right? And I'm grounded. I'm grounded. I'm stuck at home here, right? So it yeah, feels yeah, like I'm back to 15 or 16 years old. I can't get out and I can't have a drink. And 
Well, so, I like your uh, office, though. If, you know, that'd be a good place to have a scotch. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it is a good place, actually. <laughs> so maybe we'll start with, and there's all different markets and provinces and segments of the real estate uh, industry that I'd like to talk to you about today. But maybe I'll just start. Can you just give us a 360 perspective, just just looking down on the Canadian market overall, and and talk us through uh, sort of what you're seeing. Uh, and and also, you know, uh, some of those those numbers uh, in those bigger markets like Vancouver and Toronto. You know, this will be, if we look macroeconomically at the overall Canadian economy and the world economy, let's focus on Canada. It will be the most incredible slowdown in economic activity in history. Uh, the, the Great Depression of, of uh, almost 100 years ago now, wars, uh, other other pandemics in you know if you go way back to the Spanish Spanish flu a century ago nothing has slowed an economy the way this one is because we're compliant we're we're doing what is necessary to protect our communities our our families our parents our grandparents we're we're we're, we're good citizens and most people in the world are good citizens and mm-hmm. they're they're the our public health officials have said, this is what you need to do to, in the long run, keep your community safe. And maybe if you'll, for maybe one quick little segue, the early, the early economic results, the early economic results from other parts of the world show that cities and countries that do what we're doing, the mandated stay at home, the slowing down of an economy, social distancing that do it well are the ones that have the fastest bounce back in their economy. So there's some, including some in our industry, who uh, believe that, you know, we should roar ahead and, and, and move quickly. That has proven to be really challenging for for economies elsewhere in the world, because what can happen is you get a rebound uh, of the virus and then you can't overwhelm hospitals and, and then consumer confidence really collapses. What we're really looking for here is a way to keep Canadians understanding that this is a weeks and months issue, that this too shall pass. This is not a recession like the Great Recession of 2008, 2009 and the way it impacted the American financial system and real estate industry. That lasted six years. Mm-hmm. So this is not a a years-long economic-driven, an economic collapse. This is a health crisis. It's like a, uh, a car accident, as opposed to the long, drawn-out health effects of, say, not looking after yourself and, and, and having heart problems or something. That's, right. that's going to last, and it's going to take a really long time to, to get yourself back into shape. This is, we got to walk away, we've got to clean up the mess, and we should be back into business. Now, the longer it lasts, the, the more permanent damage there is. Right. But, but overall, if we look at the Canadian industry right now, there are parts of it in the, when we report the month of April, there will be parts that were down 80%. And typically right. it's the biggest wow. cities. Yeah. But uh, you know, this last week, uh, uh, close to you, I had a meeting uh, in Kelowna yesterday. Notice I said in Kelowna. <laughs> I was yeah. actually in Kelowna. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Kelowna is almost at 50%. 50% of what they were in, in, yeah. in transaction uh, volume or? In, in volume, in, okay. uh, in transactional volume, right. uh, the value of homes sold. 
which is really amazing. That's mm. that's well beyond what we would have thought in April. Uh, mm. That was that's more like a best case number for uh, June or even July. Mm. Uh, so so it's impacting the, the the most densely populated, the biggest cities. It's impacting volumes more than it is in our secondary cities, our medium-sized cities. Um, it's impacting luxury homes more than it's impacting uh, medium value or entry-level homes. Uh, it's impacting recreational property uh, more than it's, it's impacting uh, properties associated with a need, housing need. So, um, but it's still too soon to really understand right. uh, the the true impact because most of us, including those in the in the mortgage industry and in the the brokerage industry, uh, are doing exactly what we're told to do. Uh, mm. We're we're staying at home. We're servicing clients who have an urgent need for housing, but we're not we're not out selling yet. And mm. and I know you've got some good language around the difference between uh, servicing and selling in in this world. Yeah, well, and thank you. Um, you know, it's interesting because I'm, I'm like you speaking to a lot of people and uh, a lot of realtors and markets and, and to your, to your set sentiments. I mean, it's, there's still activity out there. People are, are still moving and, and those buyers that are out there that are engaging are, are serious buyers. And, you know, I would have thought, um, you know, I would have thought it would have been a little more uh, severe than, than certainly we're seeing. It's, it's early days here. Uh, you talk about, you know, the hardest hit markets um, and anytime market is, is, is hardest hit, you know, for, for an investor or for me or for someone who wants to purchase property, it's, it's often the criteria, the criterion theory uh, where it's the biggest opportunity. So the hardest hit markets, like, like any, you know, uh, previous sort of recession, usually, as you said, luxury markets, recreation uh, properties, um, you know, overall, where do you think if, if you're out there today and you're looking to invest in real estate, where do you think, you know, the greatest drops are offering the greatest opportunities? I think you need to come if for the investor specifically, who's looking to become a landlord, for example, not a flipper. This would be a really bad time to be a flipper. Right. You know, this, uh, I mean, there's, there's risk and there's stupidity, but yeah. the, <laughs> if you're, um, if you're, an investor, I think there there is going to be um, opportunities in our condominium markets in our big cities uh, because you need to step back and you got to say what's the fundamental demand? What's the fundamental drivers of demand for housing? And they tend to be household formation uh, and things like interest rates and home prices and. and uh, uh, the terms and conditions that you can offer and, and as you help and service Canadians in their financing, those are all good and they're all supporting. But if you don't have more people looking for housing, uh, you're not going to see the kind of numbers we've seen over the last but almost 20 years. It's, it's been a great run in Canada right. and that hasn't stopped. Um, I, I like to paint a picture uh, that makes it really sort of hit home for people. And I've got four kids. They're all millennials. Yeah. <laughs> two are graduated university, two are still in university. And a lot of, a lot of baby boomers uh, like I am are in exactly the same, same place I am. And they are, we were one household. Now we're a big household, but we're one household. Mm. And it won't be long. It won't be long, you know, fingers crossed, till we have created five households. So the, all four of the kids, two have left, 
two more will leave when, when they graduate and all four have serious boyfriends. They've got all girls. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and that is, that is, that is creating a lot of demand for housing. One family turns into, turns into five. sounds like the soapers are a little bit like the virus, doesn't it? You know, we're, yeah, yeah. We're, we're they're, spreading. They're, they're spreading quickly. <laughs> yeah. And, and then there's also uh, immigration. Yeah. So you have this combination and a, a more minor addition to household formation is, is this wave of baby boomers. We have 5,000 baby boomers retiring a week. And my guess is this, this, uh, this pandemic will probably accelerate that number a little bit because some people who are close to retirement will decide to retire. Some people will be asked to retire as their companies uh, get back and rolling. And some of those people won't just be trading. They won't be just selling a house and buying a house. Some of them will be the, do the old two for one where they'll, they'll buy a, call a property close to their home or their city or their kids and they'll buy a recreational property. Uh, and you know what, that'll be, that'll create a lot of demand for housing. So the fun, if you step back and look at the fundamental demand drivers, um, I think you'd say the best opportunities remain in the places that have had the fastest growth. Now you got to worry about price and this is where individual investors become, you know, they're, they're either, they're Jedi masters or, or they stumble, right. uh, but you can find the local, if you're into this, you'll find the local deals, but places like uh, the lower mainland of British Columbia, the greater Van, uh, Vancouver area um, and, and Montreal, greater Montreal have provided uh, incredible returns for real estate investors for uh, some time. Montreal is the latest party to that, uh, that party latest city to that party but it's had a, a great run and that shouldn't stop and then and then you know there there's the people who have the bigger risk i'm from calgary originally mm -hmm. and i've done some mm -hmm. investing uh at the real estate at the residential real estate uh level with um friends uh, a friend in particular who's in uh, my business mm -hmm. uh, locally mm -hmm. and you just have to be really careful in a place like calgary because you know, you can get caught in an extended downturn. So mm. someone wants to, wants to make an investment in Alberta right now. It's, uh, you know, you just have to have a higher risk tolerance. I'll tell you, even in Alberta, home prices are pretty stable. Mm. You look at over, over five years of what this, uh, this oil crisis, energy crisis has lasted. It really started in the fourth quarter of 2014. Calgary prices have only lost 10%. 10% over five years, that's 2% a year, considering everything they've gone through. Wow, you know, really? Oil is basically down to yeah. uh, zero. And we can get, we could get into why that is, but yeah. the, the fundamental reason is demand is here and supply is here. We, right. we have a housing shortage in Canada. And, and, and I tell you, we're not, we didn't go build a whole bunch of houses during the pandemic. We're going to yeah. come out of this and we're right. still going to have a housing shortage. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you look at Calgary, you look at Alberta in general, and I mean, it's been the the perfect trifecta, right? You got the COVID nineteen, you got the you know the uh, oil uh, crisis, you got you know uh, escalated unemployment rate, um, you know everything that you got the floods now, you know after the fires. I, I mean, it's just it's just heart goes out to our friends well, in Fort Mac. Yeah, they sure do, and and I'm just. You know, I look at, we have a fairly strong market in Alberta and, and our, our guys continue to do, 
you know, amazing things. The numbers continue to be great. And I just, we take our hats off to them because it is, has been uh, for several years now, the most challenging market in, in the country. Um, so we can use Calgary as, as sort of an example to, to sort of dovetail into my next question. So if you look at um, office space right now, so you and I are on Zoom. And as we were talking offline, I don't feel any more disconnected looking at you from my office here if I were sitting in your office and we were face to face. And there's a lot of people, you know, uh, whether it be Ken, uh, Calgary, Vancouver, Toronto, that are either traveling in, have a condo in the city to go to work, you know, they're going back and forth. Um, and, um, you know, I think we're quickly learning that uh, there's a huge opportunity for a lot of these companies to limit travel and still be very effective in what they do. The reluctancy to use digital conferencing and do things like this has completely changed because we've been forced to change. How do you think that's going to affect the vacancy rate in, uh, in office towers uh, in, in those large cities? I mean, I, I have to think that you know, it's not going to be immediate, but I have to think that there's going to be a trend for companies requiring a lot less space. Would you agree or you know what? I, I, I think you're probably right. The good news for everywhere, but uh, in particular, I'd say Calgary, not even uh, Alberta, because the problem wasn't nearly as uh, bad in Edmonton. We had an excess of downtown uh, uh, class A office space in, in Calgary, including, you know, my company, Brookfield's uh, uh, Brookfield Place project, which is the largest uh, commercial office tower in Western Canada came on at a bad time. You know, mm. it, we certainly didn't know that the oil prices would drop seven, 70% at the end of 2014. So there's uh, too much capacity. But if you look at uh, Toronto, where I live, for example, the we've got this massive amount of young people, particularly mm. uh, living in downtown Toronto uh, because the lifestyle is, is awesome. And, and there's not enough office capacity in downtown Toronto to, to give them jobs. So they're actually reverse commuting, you know, the equivalent in the lower mainland of heading to Burnaby or heading to Tri-Cities, heading, you know, heading out of downtown where they live mm -hmm. because that's <clears> where <throat> they could get work because companies can't. And, and so office towers are, are going up to capture the, the capacity. And the good news for the commercial real estate industry, and I'll, I'll use our company as an example. Mm. We were running out of space. We've been, uh, we've been growing just like you. Uh, and we're in, a, we're in a good building right on the, uh, the new Crosstown uh, subway in Toronto, uh, lovely park area. We just didn't want to, we didn't want to move. We, we did the investigation. We owned the building and we looked around and we said, doesn't make sense to move at least for a decade. So we said, how are we going to accommodate everybody? So we went totally open con concept. I remember when I first took the job, <laughs> I had this big wraparound office with a shower and a bathroom. <laughs> yeah. And that, that left pretty soon in my tenure because I needed the space and became, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and then I cut off a corner of it. My, so they chunk, chunk, and it was getting smaller. Well, now I'm in a cubicle. Yeah. So the, and, and it's, 
it's pretty cool. We're all, it's modern, right? It's brand yeah. new, it's clean, it's shiny, but this whole floor plate uh, of, of people and there's buzz, so we did the right thing. We have <laughs> lots of little meeting rooms and things. People are pining for the ability to get back in there and, and work. It's pretty efficient space. It's not a lot of space, pretty efficient. We've got good tools uh, to, to, for collaboration and that sort of thing. So, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of my, I've got a lot of young staff, as I know you do, the, they've got kids, little kids at home. It's not that great. <laughs> you right. know, they, 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 I, I, uh, I hear from <laughs> some of my frontline realtors, yeah, call it uh, young millennials who, who they and their partner are in a 500 square foot condo, both living from home, working from home. <laughs> yeah. That's not a lot of stuff. That's, that'll be impossible. <laughs> and they can't go to Starbucks. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so this is this is a little unusual, but I think your point is well made. There will be a step curve here and the time of the big palatial uh, spaces. Um, mm. I, certainly I've been in business long enough to to think back to the time that the square footage of your office reflected your um, your status within within a corporation. Sure. Yeah. It, and it just every it didn't wasn't about what you needed to get done or your job. It's just every time you went up, you got more square footage, more square footage, and that's changed. We really, we're, we're uh, if you look at the um, Adelaide Place, which is another Brookfield building uh, that headquarters uh, uh, Deloitte in Canada. Deloitte moved to full. I'm not a big fan of this model, but they moved mm. to full. Uh, virtual, where you don't even have a de dedicated space. Even the partners, when they come in, they got to go hunt for a space. And so the idea is they're supposed to be out with clients, supposed to be working from home, and they were able to fit into much less footprint than their large company. Um, and, and of course, downtown office space, very expensive. I don't know if it's really the optimum way, but maybe after this, you're you're bang on and they'll say, I'm not going to go downtown and fight for a, a cubicle. I'm just, mm. I'm, I'm going to work here. And, we're, and, and maybe it'll drive more residential transactions as people look to, I know a bunch of people who have you know, messaged me and said to me, you know, Phil, my house isn't big enough. I said, I thought you were shedding kids. They go, I know, but yeah. no, I need more space for my spouse. Yeah. You know, so. yeah. She's driving me crazy. I'm too close to her over these last six weeks. We need a bigger house if we're going to stay together. Yeah. It's, uh, thanks for that answer. Uh, very, very insightful. It's, it's interesting because uh, to your point, you know, those with young families in, in, in condos, uh, it's going to be very difficult to work from home uh, because there is just, you know, so much distraction, uh, you know, that comes with that. But to, to those who are a few years older and the kids are a little bit older, uh, I think there's going to be a, in my opinion, anyway, uh, a fairly large movement uh, to, to work from home. Um, it's funny. Uh, one of the things, if I was speaking to any, any realtor or any mortgage professional uh, on the phone today, I would just say that the reluctancy to use Zoom and this digital conferencing has, as we, as we said, largely uh, dissipated. And, you know, so many times when we just have a short conversation uh, need with, with one of our uh, clients, you know, we pick up and have an audio call, right? Or we have them come into the office. I think what you're going to change now is I'm going to send links and have one of these calls. And when it comes to closing transactions and negotiating changes and that, 
there is no substitute for me looking at you face to face. You're not distracted. An audio call, you're distracted, and I can't see what you're doing. And you might be doing, you know, some other messaging or emailing or something else around the home. Uh, so I think that um, there's going to be a big movement. A recent study that I just read. Uh, and, and the most recent one that's come out, companies are already saying they're experiencing a uh, 10 to 15% increase in productivity from the vast majority of those going home. And it's because, you know, they haven't got the water, the water cooler and the coffee conversations in the morning and their head down. But the other thing is they have a little more flexibility to do some other stuff during the day. So they're sitting at their desk in the evening and just pounding through work rather than watching America's Got Talent or The Voice or something. Um, because most people, as you said at the start of the call, they're good. I mean, they, they're, they're, you know, people are good, you know, by nature. Yeah, and, absolutely. and they, you know, if you give them a little bit of flexibility and you give them the opportunity to work from home, I know we are going to reconsider our entire philosophy on it uh, at our company, number one. And the second thing, I think a lot of our travel budget is going to go down. And okay. I always say to our mortgage brokers and realtors, the more convenience you can provide the customer, the better you're going to be right at your job. Uh, Cause we are all convenience driven. Yep. So hey, I got a question for you on that one. You know, we would often have someone dial into a meeting and we've got video conferencing capabilities. So say our Vancouver, uh, the regional manager, rather than have him fly all the way to Toronto, he'd just dial in, but everybody else would sit around a table. And the, the person that was doing what we're doing today kind mm -hmm. of gets lost. I wonder if it will lead to more virtual meetings, even though people are on a call it in the same location, because that way, everybody's got kind of an equal, equal opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it will. I mean, I, I just, you know, I just can't, you know, think for a second, that it's not going to radically change. I mean, I, as I said, I just know it firsthand. I, I've had, you know, it's been so cool to have all my calls now on zoom rather than audio. And when everyone can look and I can see, you know, eight of us or 12 of us on one screen, I could see us doing it as, you know, inside of some of our offices. Some guys are going to the boardroom. Some guys will stay in their office, you know, at their desk. I mean, I, I think it's going to be a big movement. And I think it's going to be a big movement around real estate and around uh, mortgages. You know, I mean, like people just imagine if I can save 45 minutes from getting in my car, driving somewhere, fighting traffic, the distractions, the cost, finding parking, you know, for a 30 minute call that is, you know, just to go over the closing of the transaction or something that actually leads me maybe to, to uh, the next discussion. So I believe that it's going to, I mean, I said on one of my last calls that, you know, something as simple as e-signatures that, you know, the FIs, the financial institutions, you know, have been trying to get deployed for five years. All of a sudden, every bank in the country got them deployed in 14 days. We're talking virtual tours now, and that's by need. Of course, when I'm going to go look for a home, I want to walk through it. But in the absence of the ability to do that, there is these convenient softwares, um, you know, the appraisals, the need for, you know, lawyers and notaries like we once did. There's such a massive technology uh, awakening now. How do you think that that is going to affect the real estate transaction? Is it not at all to some degree? Like, where do you think that we should position ourselves uh, to be ready for it? You know, the wave, the wave was, oh, just a second. <laughs> Sorry about that, Gary. Gotcha, I'll be, unplug myself. The, um, <laughs> 
the wave of technological change, of course, was it was it was on upon, upon us before this. The amount of money that had been invested in uh, prop tech, uh, the property related technology over the last five years, quite quite amazing. It's just starting to slow down in in 2019 a bit. The rate of growth was flattening a bit, but the amount of money that had been pushed into the industry, uh, the number of new ideas, particularly south of the border uh, and, and new approaches had, had pushed a lot of uh, potential change on the industry. But there was grudging, grudging acceptance of some of it, the, the, the old resistance to change. And why, why should we change what we've always done when it seems to work and I'm busy? Well, of course, this has brought it on. Like uh, if, if I look just on rollapage.ca, so mm -hmm. realtor.ca is the most busy real estate listing seat, site in the country and rollapage.ca is the most busy real estate company website in the country. If I go back four weeks ago or maybe five weeks ago when we first started uh, the, the total lockdown and had introduced uh, virtual open houses, we had, we had 10 nationally. On this weekend, we had 1,000. So wow. it, it is, I mean, if we had tried to push this out like you do, you introduce new technology, you've got a team that's right across the country, you know, you, you tell them the features, the functions, the benefit of the new technology, you, you put splashy events on, you put encouragements, maybe you have contests, you do everything. And there's this sort of <laughs> so true, yeah. option of yeah. the, yeah, unless you put a whole bunch of money, you say you don't get paid unless you yeah. use this technology. That always works. But um, suddenly, boom, people just, they learn overnight. So I think there, there, there has been a step up and, and it will, will help the industry. I think what will not change because we've looked at it, we've uh, experimented with it with some uh, financial institution partners and things. People still want to deal with an advisor, a human being. It may be this way, it may be uh, through audio only, or it may be face to face. And we are talking about uh, a unique acquisition, uh, principally a piece of real estate. Uh, and people wanna see the real estate, even, even in the pandemic, where we've gone to great lengths to do things, do things uh, remotely. One of the things I said really, really on, and I had, I had a spirited discussion with the, uh, the CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association about this, because we were, in the beginning, of course, the, the main thing we're worried about were people's health and safety going back to the middle of March. And I said, Tim, it's just, it's not reasonable to expect a family to uh, purchase, make the largest investment purchase of their family's life without stepping foot on, on that sure. property. They're going to have to visit the property. So we need to find a way to do for them to do that safely because people need need housing. We can't just shut down housing for two months. It's impossible. And, and that's exactly what has turned out. People have, uh, have continued to visit properties. They visit them less. They use tools to understand them. Virtual open houses are great. I think mm -hmm. we'll see more of them. Although as, as, as a number of people have pushed back me and said, I sometimes go to houses for recreation, creating <laughs> ideas, and right. I end up buying houses that I didn't want to, but it's, it, I go there because it's fun. It's social. Mm. It's, it's, 
it's uh, inspiring. And so that's not going to change. And the, the fact that we have, we're not going to have open houses with people wandering around without a, without a realtor inside that. It's, mm. That's not going to happen. For sure. Safety and security, but also, you know, you want to interact. You want to have a, an opportunity to talk to someone in a random way. So, so I think the, the technology will drive changes. The big, the big change. And, and we're rolling out a new platform. It's called RLP Sphere um, in May that, that I've been uh, jokingly and my marketing people hate it, but I've been calling the pandemic platform. It wasn't designed for this. Because <laughs> it was uh, the high level design was done 14 months ago mm-hmm. and it's been in development. It's a cloud-based um, AI driven end-to-end platform. And the big thing we're trying to accomplish is the integration of all the little islands of technology that exist in real estate brokerage, including the interfaces to mortgage professionals, uh, the legal community and things. So, uh, that, and that'll, as we roll out other iterations of RLP Sphere, it'll, that'll happen. But there are other companies across North America who had the same vision that, that the solutions are there, the tools are there, how do we get people to adopt them? And uh, what are we really trying to do? And I think what we're trying to do is, as you mentioned, improve productivity, reduce uh, cycle time, the number of time, uh, amount of time in total that a mortgage professional, a real, a real estate broker mm-hmm. has to spend on a transaction to reduce errors uh, and to do a better, uh, increase client satisfaction. So if you do, if you do all those things by integration, uh, and leveraging technology, you don't have to worry about, you know, the, the role of the advisor, the advisors frees up time that they're spending on administration right. can spend time face to face with the client. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, for those who don't embrace technology around, uh, you know, the financial service industry or the real estate industry is going to be in big trouble and it's going to be death by a thousand paper cuts. They're going to wake up one day and they're going to say, I'm not relevant. And all these, you know, people have, have passed me by. And a prime example of that is if you look at when Amazon came on, I mean, Walmart was the largest corporation, one of the, well, the largest retail corporation in the world. It was a Goliath It had changed every mom and pop small town in North America, you know, because you had all the products in one area. Um, it was just a behemoth. And they didn't take Amazon, or you know, uh, seriously enough. And if you look today, you know, and Amazon is a much younger company, it is four times the market cap of Walmart, the wow. largest retail corporation in the world. It is the four times. It's a one point two trillion dollar market cap. Why? Because they made it convenient. I ordered stuff last night, one click. So if you're on this call right now and you don't know the technology and you're not using it, like mobile app, we, we built this really industry-leading mobile app that every one of our agents has it and everyone should be using it and all are. It just makes, you know, the interaction, uh, the ability to, to, you know, qualify and to get pre-approvals and to look at rates. So I, I agree with you 100%. There is no eradication of the realtor or the mortgage professional because we need that human interaction. We want to be able to, you know, speak to somebody. We're conservative by nature, but there is a very fast movement to, you know, as little involvement, you know, as much as I can do up front, collecting documentation, you know, communicating back and forth, virtual tours, to look at the property first before I get in the car and visit 20 of them. I'm going to do a virtual tour, but I'm still going to go and step foot in. 
And, and the lesson here for all of us, like we've seen in the last five weeks, is understand the technology that's out there readily available, right? And don't be afraid of it. Run towards it, not run away from it. And I think you're going to find that you're going to have more time. You're going to be more efficient. You're going to communicate, you know, uh, uh, much more broadly and your business is going to grow. So, I mean, it's, it's, there's changes coming, but I think they're all positive. And I think that, you know, I, I honestly believe that our next five years are going to be, you know, excellent years ahead of us. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of positives that are coming out of this and into your comments, uh, Phil. Um, I think that largely Canada has done a very good job and I think we are going to rebound faster than so many other areas. Um, if you talk about the real estate itself, and one thing we haven't touched on right now, and, and this will be, you know, I'm going to ask you short-lived probably, but inventory levels. Inventory levels have been very low in most markets in Canada. Uh, how low have they been? I mean, are they at historic levels of low or, or not? And and when do we think that we'll start seeing inventory levels start to creep back in? Obviously, it's going to be tied to, you know, the rollout of the reintroduction back to work. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, we've, we've I believe the shortage of inventory or, or a housing supply crisis has been probably number two, the number two biggest a social challenge we've had as a nation over much of the last decade. You can, you can tell by every election, whether it's federal or provincial, in most parts of the country, it is front and center in the debates. So it's healthcare, and I'd say housing and, and education and the environment. So I'd, I'd put housing in the number two spot because we don't have enough, we don't have enough for people to purchase. We don't have enough quality uh, housing. We're not, and there's lots of issues in housing. We're not dense enough. Our, you know, the densest city in Canada is, is Vancouver, the lower mainland. And it is something like one quarter as dense as a beautiful European city like Barcelona, uh, which you would never wow. dream is, yeah. is, a, is a, a really dense city. You know, they don't have the skyscrapers we do. It's, it's a, you've been there, right? It's pretty, you yeah. don't get green and parks. And, and so we need to find a way to quit sprawling, sprawling. We need more houses in the available land we have for the resources we have as a government and the, uh, and the environment. The, uh, so, so that's part of housing policy. The other part is affordability. And we know this is something uh, that particularly governments like the government, current government, BC have tried to fix by hammering demand, but hammering demand doesn't change the fact that those kids are leaving home and they need to put a roof over the head. Yeah, you can, you so can delay, you can delay that. You can say, you know, bang, 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 and make it really hard to buy a house. But all that does is, is create a backlog. And when, when they save up the money, like they did with the stress test, it just creates a wave and, and then you get spikes in, in, in home prices and brings out unsavory characters, right? The home right. flippers and all the bad things. So it's bad for society. You want, you want to try to keep pace with household formation. So back to the pandemic. Coming into, coming into March 2020, if you, look at, if you look at February 2020 numbers, 45% 
year over year increase in volume in Vancouver, 45%, 46% in Toronto, 21% in Calgary. These are increases, year over year increases, not in prices, in the number of properties trading hands. Ottawa, Montreal, all, it was the first time I'd seen in almost a decade where everything was pulling forward. We were headed for some really uncomfortable, uh, uncomfortably high home price increases in our major markets, like, mm. like Vancouver. Mm. And, and I'm going, oh boy, you know, here we go again, 2016 again. And then you get the heavy, heavy hand, the uh, heavy fist of government and it creates the problems we just say. So that has not disappeared. As we talked about earlier, we haven't built any other houses. In fact, if you look under the covers of the pandemic right now, we've got a seller's market in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. People kind of think, oh, you know, there's an economic crisis on. You might, must be able to go out and buy one of those, uh, those uh, Feel it. Yeah. multi-million dollar shacks in West Van for half price. <laughs> when, it, when in fact, that is not happening. Not case, we've no. got way more buyers in market today mm-hmm. in this in this dramatically depressed market volume is, volume is sunk but it's still way out of whack with mm. the number of buyers here and the number of sellers here and the and the challenge is i think it's going to get worse before it gets better mm. and it's a it's a little theory of mine and it relates to what we saw in 2009 and this is the uh, the byob house party theory it's highly scientific so <laughs> th- th- this this is the way it works okay. at a party you're holding a party and you ask everybody to, uh, you know, bring a bring a bottle of wine, bring some beer, bring what you want for the party. But you get some some young folks, and I'll pick on young folks, and they come and they don't bring anything to the party. Well, suddenly the value of the wine, beer, and wine you have goes up because it becomes more <laughs> scarce. In two thousand and nine, in the wake of the uh, global financial crisis, the Great Recession. The first people back in the market were the first-time buyers in Canada. Didn't work that way in the U.S. because they couldn't get they couldn't get a mortgage. Right. In Canada, home prices hung on. They did a little bit of a dip, and they were down in the first quarter of 2009. But the first-time home buyer, they came to the party. And they didn't bring anything. They didn't bring a bottle of wine. You know, right. <laughs> you know, your move up buyer, they come, they bring a house and they buy a house right. and it keeps things kind of even. But if you've got 40% of the transactions in 2020 on a go forward base being first time home buyers, they're coming to the party and they're not bringing anything. Right. And so I think we, we're going to be over skewed on the demand side. And there's, other subtleties. There's more thought that goes into it than, than just BYOB. The mm. fact is, the older you are, the more mm. um, the demand has, has uh, or sorry, the disease, COVID-19 impacts people. So the risk is higher. Uh, anyone can get the disease. Anyone can die from the disease. But 79% of the deaths in Canada to date have been in long-term um, care, facilities, care yeah. homes, which is so so terribly sad, but mm. it does say there's mm. a, a continuance there. And of course, ownership of homes skews older than buyers mm. of homes. The listers skew whole, uh, older. And so they're going to be a little more reluctant mm. to allow people into their home to look at their home and they, they can't be there. So they're going to wonder if those people are taking care or if they're spreading germs and or the virus in their home, they're going to be reluctant. So I think we're going to, our big challenge in the weeks ahead is going to be convincing the Canadian 
home seller in particular, that this is one of the safest uh, areas of business, one of the safest things in the post-COVID-19 lockdown era. As things open up, you know, and restaurants open, I saw in Italy, they're starting to put very clever pieces of plexiglass in between diners and in uh, restaurants. Mm-hmm. So, so people will, will be able to go to restaurants. They won't be as dense. There'll be some protection, but it will still feel that's the, the supermarket, a trip to the doctor's office, to a trip to a restaurant won't feel as safe as selling or buying a house. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that we as, a, as an industry have to get that message across that when it's safe to do so, we are going to be one of the, the safest and most important engines of economic recovery in Canada. Mm-hmm. Well, well put. What a, what a wonderful perspective. Um, it's interesting because, you know, you start to feel already, I mean, the feeling this week over last week and the, the anticipation of the reintroduction of the economy and just the things we're seeing out of some of the U.S. states and some of the other countries uh, where the pent-up demand, you know, restaurants are, are lined up around the corner. Or there's, there's massive pent-up demand. And I think you're going to see that in, in Canadian real estate as well. The one thing that will be very interesting to watch is hundreds of thousands of international buyers every year come to our markets, and in particular Vancouver and Toronto. And, you know, I think that's going to be much slower. And that has had immense pressure on some of the increase in, in, in prices in our larger cities. Um, do you, do you expect, you know, the international buyers to, to be slower to come back? Or do you expect that as soon as they feel safe and travel restrictions are list, are, are lifted, we're going to see that because, you know, those, those, those immigrant families that are uh, immigrating to Canada, they're a massive part and a very important part of our, uh, our country and our economy. Yeah, no, you raise a really good point. Uh, we released a study last year on, on, uh, we call them uh, newcomers. So these were immigrants that have been in the country seven years uh, and less. And if you've been here seven years, you actually have a higher percentage of home ownership than people who were born in Canada, 72.3 or something like that. Wow. And the whole overall uh, Canadian home ownership rate, including them, is 69. So in, and in certain Part, especially the less populated parts of the country. And it's kind of counterintuitive. Places like Saskatchewan, uh, up to 45% of the transactions can be newcomers. So these aren't immigrants that arrive immediately, you know, immediately they arrive and they buy, although about 30% do. They come with the cash to uh, buy a home and they, and about 30% do. But most of them, it's a little bit delayed. And, but by the time they get to seven years, more, they own more homes. Uh, more of them own homes than and Canadians as a percent. Yeah. But it's really, really, really important part of the industry. And it's complex. It's complex to understand what international migration patterns are going, what, it, what this disease will do to international uh, buying patterns. We know, for example, south of the border, they're brand as a, an attractive place for the best and brightest, the, the, the smartest, the most skilled, the people with the capital around the world. The brand of America has fallen relative to Canada. If you look at the economist, the Economic uh, um, uh, Research Institute out of, the, out of the UK, you know, we have three cities in the top 10 most livable cities in the world list. Uh, Vancouver, Calgary, and Toronto, and Montreal and Ottawa, and it doesn't go any lower than that. So there's only five Canadian cities, are all in, all in the top 
25. Well, you have to go way down the list. Number 21 is the only American city in the top uh, quartile, and it's Honolulu, you know, way out in the middle of the Pacific mm-hmm. Ocean, that's really trying to get away from America. So why am I raising this other than it's fun to pick on America? Well, they, 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 they <laughs> and easy sometimes. And easy and easy. Um, you know, immigration has been uh, shut down altogether, but Trump was well on the way to curtailing. And they had, a, they had a labor shortage, just like Canada did. Lowest unemployment rate in a generation. Nobody working for either of our companies has ever, you know, coming into this crisis, the health crisis, had never lived in a time where unemployment was as low as it was in February of 2020. And yet he had lowered his, his immigration rate, you know, banning countries, lowering immigration, lowering immigration to the point where it was only, it was less than three times bigger than Canada. And for those of you who are, who are into numbers, you'd know that America is more than 10 times bigger than Canada in population. So you go back just a few years, like four or five years, uh, America would, would invite new Americans uh, at a rate about 10 times Canada. And now it's down to 2.8 or something. And now it's even sunk lower. So what does this really mean? Well, one of the things it means is in this competitive world where, where you're not just competing for oil or, or you know, I don't know, an Amazon <laughs> headquarters, you're, you're competing for skills, for people, for skills. Our brand is growing and our biggest competitor for skills on the global scale is falling and shooting themselves in the foot again and again. Now, my guess is that'll probably get fixed uh, and, and the, the pendulum will swing. But the Democrats in the, in the U.S. haven't typically been a big pro-immigration party. It's typically been the Republican because mm, they're course, pro, yeah. pro-government. So, you know, you assume mm. that there's a switch in government and perhaps they go eight years and you know, we could have another decade of being the preferred uh, destination, destination Western yeah. hem- hemisphere for the best and brightest around the world. And, I, and, and the opportunities for the nation in terms of productivity and innovation, and it, 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 is, it is stunning. So mm. now what will happen in the short term? There'll be a blip. In the medium term, call it maybe middle of next year, maybe end of next year, when things are back to normal, I think we're going to come out of this. Certainly, if you look at the way Canada, the way our, you mentioned it earlier, Gary, the way our provincial leaders uh, have worked with the prime minister, the way our leaders right across the country have stepped back and and taken um, uh, advice like Dr. Bonnie, you know, they they Mm -hmm. let our our public health officials, the Lead. experts, yeah. step to the front, and our our, our political leaders have stepped back. Um, it's been textbook. Now we've we've stumbled. We could have done things better. We could have done things earlier. But compared to the com- the countries that have really had problems, um, it, you know, Canada's brand's going to rise. So is Australia's. So is New Zealand's. <clears throat> and you know, for the Western Hemisphere which is billions, you know, I don't know how many people in mm-hmm. North and South and Central America, but it's a big chunk of the world. This is going to be the place they want to live if they want to live in the West world. In fact, um, using another global global ranking, the uh, Wharton Business School's uh, best countries list, we're either not at number one or number two, typically. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're number 
one in livability, number two, overall, Switzerland beat us out in 2019. Mm-hmm. Stinky Swiss. But yeah, know, yeah. They're kind of like a, a boutique. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, wow. I mean, just some fascinating uh, information there. Thank you for uh, sharing that. Incredibly interesting. Uh, I want to, uh, there's, I'm looking at sort of the time, and we'll try to wrap this up in the next 10 or 12 minutes. Um, and I, I got, you know, a few other things that I want to. I spoke with Chilton uh, a couple weeks ago uh, on. Great guy. on. Well, he's, yeah, I know you're a friend of uh, David's as well. He's just one of the most relatable down to earth individuals on the planet. He's, I just, he's just. And funny. Yeah. Oh, hilarious. I can't say enough about, uh, about, about David, but um, we talked about Airbnb and we talked about VRBO and, you know, there's a lot of people who have financed these condos um, and they've been supporting them obviously with the short term rental market. And of course, the short-term rental market uh, has been radically impacted and, and probably still will be for, you know, to some degree for the balance of this year. And, and who knows what 2021 looks like. Uh, because of that, the longer this goes, obviously, there's going to be some real compression on uh, those units. People either have to go to long-term rentals or they have to, you know, start to um, uh, sell them in order to, you know, get them out of that financial situation they may find themselves in. What are your thoughts on the effect of, of, of that, Airbnb in particular? Uh, and do you think uh, when, you, when you couple that with, you know, some of the larger cities and the condo prices that you spoke of that might be the most exposed, do you think we're going to see some real opportunities? And do you think that's where we're going to see the deepest price discounts? I, I think you're bang on. Uh, if, as I look across the entire housing stock, uh, it stands out to me to be the biggest opportunity because yes, it will come back. Mortgage, mortgage deferral is a huge part of the, the, the defense of the economy that the federal government and our major financial institutions have put in place. That, that's huge. If you can keep people from uh, defaulting on the mortgages, you, you don't put a black mark on their ability to borrow. That's what happened in America in 2008 and nine. People took years to be able to be even a couple of engineers, you know, oh, again. completely yeah. working. They couldn't get a mortgage, right? right? So, so if we can avoid that, we, we save housing overall, we save the whole housing. It's hugely important. Uh, the, the other things that are being done to help tide people over should give the uh, investor in a short-term uh, rental service like Airbnb, some hope, but, but a lot of them are, are, I don't think they're, they're going to be able to carry the properties because they really, you know how investing works in, in expensive markets and big cities. You push it pretty close to the wall in terms of how much you borrow and, and your, your right. uh, projected cash flows. You don't, you don't plan for months of empty. Months of empty is just not in your business case, not in your worst case, right, scenario. Yeah. So I believe you're right. Bang on. Uh, there will be short-term opportunities. Now, I think the biggest opportunities in the short term will happen in our biggest cities where the, the rental vacancy rate was the lowest. Can't remember what, exactly what Vancouver is, but I think it's 0.7 of one percent. Very low, right? Really, yeah, and Toronto's the same. Uh, Montreal's the same. So some of that will be easily sold to uh, people looking to buy right. their first first home, and those first time home buyers uh, I told you about. So it's. I don't think 
we're looking at a, a major uh, plummet in prices just because of that shortage of housing and the, and the demands there. Oh. But, uh, but it, man, you know, what it was, it's it SoftBank? No, they were WeWork. I'm not sure Air, Airbnb who the biggest invest were, but mm. what a, what a tough, tough business, travel and tourism, hotels, airlines, mm. you know, we in real estate and, and, and uh, the finance industry, yeah. finance, it's, it's been tough. But compared to some of the sure. other industries, sadly, we we are blessed. So yeah, yeah, we sure are. Couldn't agree. Couldn't agree more. Uh, so I mean, it's interesting because I look at just listening to you today, and and you know the question you get is around opportunities, and obviously I think big box retail uh, commercial is going to be under immense pressure. We talk about Amazon and the drive, uh, and now I mean everyone you know has learned how to use Amazon in the last thirty days by need. So their numbers and stock continue to rise. Uh, you realize how easy and simple it is. So you know, um, there's still going to be obviously a need for, you know, collection of people, shopping malls and that sort of stuff, but the big box, large retailers uh, and that space, I think uh, is, is going to soften. I mean, it's just, I think the industrial real estate, state, you know, the, the storage market in particular is going to, to be yeah. on short supply and is going to actually in, in, increase. I think it's the retail segment that is the most affected. Would you uh, agree with that on the, uh, on, the on the big box? I think, yeah. Think you're bang on. Now, our company, uh, through another another division, is the second largest mall owner in the United States through a, a subsidiary called General Growth. So they own upscale malls, uh, the, some of the best malls in in America. Yeah. But the main reason, because Brookfield's a, a, a property investor, it's one of the the key. Right. Uh, pillars, uh, property ownership and development. But the main reason they invested was not for retail rents. It was for the quality of the underlying uh, real property. So the, the locations of these beautiful malls in, in our big cities uh, tend to be awesome places for residential housing, right. for professional uh, professional buildings, office towers, uh, for entertainment. Uh, and people aren't going to start. It, you know, I'm dying to go out to a restaurant. So am I. I'm not, I'm not used Big to Big bottle it. of wine and a nice steak with a I nice couple. Love I love eating at uh, home alone with my wife and my kid. But, uh, you know, I really want to get out. And, and that, that, that is the recreation I think all of us are dying to see again. So, so I think there'll be some repurposing. But retail itself is it's obviously going to feel some pressure. And, and, mm. and for all the people who just got into Amazon, mm. it usually doesn't take so long to get shit. I mean, yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. I've been a big Amazon guy. Right. I'm used to that. 24 hour, 48 hour right. delivery. Wait till they try that. I mean, yeah. it, it, oh, it's, it's really addictive. Yeah. hundred percent. I know on this call, uh, I know I got a message from uh, Ron Pfeiffer yesterday and, and Ron Rouse and Darren, you know, uh, um, from uh, Toronto, you got a lot of friends on this call, uh, Phil, and we appreciate it. The, the, the Hi, last guys. couple of questions I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to, to ask you is, um, so for a realtor or a mortgage professional interacting with Canadian consumers every single day, the question that we get, uh, and I'd like to hear how you answer that, is now a good time to buy real estate or what do you, what would you tell me? What are you telling your kids to do, Phil? Yeah. You know what? If you want to, if you have to sell your home or if you want to sell your home, I had a, a very good friend of mine, long-term friend who needed to, felt she needed to sell her home and someone, her realtor who happened to be one in my mind uh, had suggested that she better get it done in the next couple of weeks because you know things could get 
ugly and prices could plummet. And I sort of rolled my eyes <laughs> and I took a, a deep breath and I said, listen, Sue, if you need to sell your house, now's a fine time to sell your house. There's, as I said earlier, there's, there's more demand than there is supply in the marketplace and prices have, have held on. I said, don't, but don't accept a, a, uh, a fireside price because the long-term prospects look reasonable. And I, I, provided her with our forecast and, and uh, the science behind it. It's a crystal ball, like I said at the beginning, but it, there's some science behind it. And uh, she felt better. So I don't know whether she's going to list her house or not. If you need to, now's a, now's a reasonable time. I really truly believe the industry is able to offer a safe service. I think we can, we can transact in a safe way, but we have not been released from uh, emergency or urgent only level transactions at, at this stage in any province. We're close in Saskatchewan, Manitoba, British Columbia, um, uh, I was going to say Mon Moncton, New Brunswick. So we're close in probably half the province's PEI. Newfoundland's pretty close to, um, but we're not that close in Alberta, in, in Ontario, Quebec. So, so we should, we should remember that the, number one fiscal stimulus we can throw at this market is convincing Canadians that it's safe to buy and sell homes when, when the restrictions are lifted. In terms of home prices, I mentioned earlier, I believe home prices uh, are sustainable at their current levels. They're not going to go shooting up, but our forecast for the full year, if we're able to um, release Canadians from strict mandated stay at home and start to open businesses by the end of the second quarter. So by the end of June is that overall aggregate home prices by December 31st will be up 1% over 20. Now that's way down than our original forecast. Sure. From, yeah. from than what was the original forecast? It was, it was close to four. Okay. So, yeah. you know, so yeah. a quarter of what But still, was. I mean, if we can, if we can finish this 12 month uh, segment and we Absolutely. can flat or up 1%, I would say we've done one one heck of a job weathering that storm. The other thing that uh, that I'll just chime in, and when one of the one of the key drivers is is extended uh, low interest rates, and you know based on what's going on, I mean we are expecting so extended low interest rates, right? And you know in many markets, even with the increased uh, housing prices, the 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 cost to buy a new home when you factor in the servicing and carrying cost, even with the increase uh, rise of purchase price over the last decade, uh, it's still been cheaper than ever before. So the cost of money to carry these things is incredibly low. And, and the other thing that you made a comment on is that, you know, probably not a good time to be a speculator right now, uh, you know, because there's too much uncertainty, but it's like anything else. If you have the power of time, uh, you know, compound, and if you have the ability to put a, a good tenant in there long term, as we know, for, for, for 100 years, you know, and counting, uh, the investment in real estate has been has been absolutely exceptional, not only in this country but in most countries. And never let a good crisis go to waste. You got it, Winston Churchill and Rand. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more, uh, Phil. This was an absolute pleasure. Uh, you, are, I mean, you're just a walking library of uh, Canadian uh, uh, information. Yeah, and well, yeah, it happens with you know by osmosis with you know all the time that you, uh, that you put in. Uh, on behalf of, um, and, and, and I, I must say, we work with more uh, realtors in Canada than, than any other uh, finance company in the country. And Absolutely. We, have, we, have, we have a, 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 
a, a lot of really, really good partners with uh, Royal LePage and we work with realtors of, of every brand. And I do want to mention that the power of working with a, with a professional realtor, a professional mortgage broker, uh, there's so much value to the Canadian consumer. There's so much choice, there's so much consideration, uh, you know, to the average consumer. And, and I think that over the last month, uh, we've been able to uh, really highlight the value of working with a really good solid one-two punch. So thank you for the leadership that you continue to uh, display in, in Canada. Thank you for just being an incredible, great guy. And uh, I have some thank ideas. You. You, tweaked some, you tweaked some ideas with me today, Phil. So you're, we're going to be- That's good. That's good. We're going to be getting an off and off the air uh, uh, call here in the next, uh, the next short while. On behalf of all of us and our guests, I'll make sure I get you a uh, recording. Thank you. Oh, for, that'd be uh, awesome. Time. Thank you. It's a great conversation. We covered so much ground and, sure and to everybody uh, who tuned, tuned in, all the DLC professionals across the country and the affiliated uh, companies and, and realtors uh, uh, across the country. Thank you for doing what you're doing for Canadians. Uh, I know we're not for frontline workers, uh, essential service workers like doctors or police, but we are midline people. Uh, we are putting ourselves at risk to help Canadians in need of, of housing. And uh, I salute you and I salute you, Gary, for doing these uh, webinars. You're, uh, you're spreading a lot of good education and good word in the time when communication is so critical. So thank you for the opportunity. Amen. And thanks very much. Be well. Thanks, guys. We'll talk soon. Uh, have a great afternoon and a great week. Bye-bye.